0: Sports Byline's library of more than 12,000 interviews is a treasure. I'm Ron Barr, and we want your help in protecting, sharing, and continuing to build this sports interview treasure. We've launched a GoFundMe campaign, so please go to sportsbyline.com funding and donate so you can be a part of preserving and continuing to build this unique collection of sports interviews. In appreciation for your donation, support, and telling others, we're going to provide everyone who donates with a link to a special commemorative collection of the Sports Byline Interview Library. This commemorative collection will change every month, and you'll have access to it with your supporting donation of any amount. So go to sportsbyline.com slash funding and also tell your friends. You'll be helping preserve, grow, and digitize the Sports Byline Interview Library so that today's sports fans and those in the future will forever be able to enjoy this treasure. Thank you for your help and support.
1: Welcome. You're listening to Sports Econ 101, the show where we discuss sports topics from a business perspective. I'm your host Edward Brown, along with my co-host Bruce McGowan, longtime sports radio personality. Now today's show is going to be fun because uh, we we have a guest we've had uh, on a couple of times. Yeah, we? we've
2: had him on a couple of times. And we're actually going to talk sports business. We talk about sports business once in a while, but we really, are we are re-
1: really, just- this time, really, 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 really. Okay, yes. <laughs> good. All right. At each commercial break, uh, oh. Well, and who is our guest? Andy Dolich. Andy Dolich. Okay. Yes. At each commercial break, we're going to ask a sports trivia question. This uh, theme uh, today is going to be just miscellaneous sports again. I like it. You like miscellaneous <laughs> sports. Okay.
2: I think Andy will like it, too.
1: Good. I, I'll bet he'll – let's see. Will he know any of these answers? Let's I think he will. Let's see. we got a golf one. Yeah. We've got a football one. And then we got another golf one. Oh. Uh, one of the golf ones I know he'll know. That, okay. that one's pretty easy. Okay. All right. And at each commercial break, we're going to ask, excuse me, we're going to ask the, sport, the sports trivia question. And oh, wait, did you
2: just get a haircut? Your I hair did.
1: Like... I know my, my headphones can barely fit yeah. on my I head mean, now.
2: Your hair, your hair is so short. I Thank mean, you. I could not grab a little piece no. of it off
1: your head. <laughs> I've got a business trip coming. Yeah. i got to fly out uh, to Miami a, on Sunday. You have to look Sunday. respectable. I've got, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You can't uh, look like me. No. No. <laughs> You're a fine-looking gentleman uh, and a scholar. A little scruffy right now. That's okay. That's all right. But I like it better without the beer. Yeah, my wife
2: wife doesn't like the beer. My daughter does, so I'm I'm kind of having a tough time with that one.
1: No, you looked a little bit too old. You're you're too young for that. okay. All right. This segment of Sports Econ 101 is sponsored by Pacific Private Money, providing mortgage investments that are still currently yielding right around 8% secured by mostly Bay Area. And when we say Bay Area, we mean the San Francisco Bay Area real estate and it doesn't get any more conservative than that you got to check them out at pacificprivatemoney.com by the way uh, so far no one has ever lost money in their fund
2: nice all right they've
1: done uh, and the company's done 1200 loans and only a handful have ever gone into foreclosure you're looking
2: at me like you want me to sort of uh make the the plunge the plunge <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, as I say, let's see, out of 12... I'm going
2: to have to talk this over with my wife. Of of course,
1: of (laughs) course. All right, well, stay with us. You're listening to Sports Econ 101. We'll be right back.
0: This is Mark Honf, co-host of Mortgage Investing 101. Did you know that you can earn, year in and year out, returns of 8% and more on your savings and retirement accounts? Mortgage-backed investment strategies, such as trusted investing and mortgage pool funds, can do just that. Since 2008... Clients of Pacific Private Money have consistently earned high yields on their investments. Find out for yourself how you too can profit from these real estate secured investments. Call 415-883-2150 or visit our website at PacificPrivateMoney.com.
3: Come aboard Hornblower Cruises for a -a one-of-a-kind Thanksgiving experience with spectacular views, live entertainment, and a gourmet holiday dinner all on board Gather your family and just relax this Thanksgiving. We'll cook the turkey and even do the dishes. Book your reservation today at Hornblower.com for a -a one-of-a-kind Thanksgiving experience. That's Hornblower.com.
4: Pedro Fernandez here. You might know me as the host of Ring Talk Live Worldwide, but this time I'm here to talk about that four-letter word everybody dreads. Pain! If you have back pain or knee pain like I do, hey, you should know about the Health Alert Hotline. I'm talking about if Medicare is your primary medical insurance, and guess what? You can qualify for a back or knee brace or a shoulder brace for little or no charge. Anything to help me with the pain, hey, makes it more manageable, gets my attention, folks. I love the free delivery, and they take care of the paperwork for you. So if you have Medicare and need help for your back, ankle, knee, or shoulder, guess what?
5: Whether you're a local or entertaining visitors, check out the new Cityscape Viewing Lounge at the Hilton San Francisco Union Square for 360-degree views that are out of this world. This new San Francisco landmark serves up premium wines by the glass and locally crafted beers, as well as tempting appetizers, all of which complement the city's landmark vistas. The Cityscape Viewing Lounge at the Hilton San Francisco Union Square
1: Welcome back to Sports Econ 101. I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Bruce McGowan. Bruce, who's on the phone?
2: Now well, we got a good friend, Andy Dolich, who's worked in the front offices of the Oakland Athletics, the San Francisco 49ers, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, who am I missing, Andy? There are a couple other teams in there somewhere. The uh,
6: Memphis Grizzlies, the Philadelphia 76ers, yeah. the Washington Capitals, the Maryland Arrows of your favorite <laughs> National Lacrosse League, and the Washington Diplomats of the North American Soccer
2: League. Well, you've covered just about uh, everything. How about hockey? No hockey? Yeah, Washington Capitals. Oh, that's oh, right, yeah, the of Washington course. Capitals. Yeah, of yes. course. What am I saying? Gosh. Well, you know, of late, you've been working sort of independently, and the the situation out here in the in the Bay Area is really interesting. For those that aren't following it closely, the Raiders are talking about moving to Las Vegas. The A's are upset because they haven't had a stadium plan for a long time, and they're really getting tired of waiting. And the Warriors say they're moving to San Francisco. What's going on? They're not saying it. They are moving. Well, they are, (laughs) but they they haven't broken ground on the new arena. What what is going on with all this stuff? Why why can't Oakland get it together and keep at least two of these teams, Andy? Well,
6: let's take a step back. Having grown up on the East Coast and been a fan of uh, the New York Knicks when they were actually great and the Brooklyn Dodgers before they became the Los Angeles Dodgers, I'm I think there's a positive, and that is if you look at the success that the Bay Area teams and many of their athletes have had, I'll make the argument that the San Francisco Bay Area is as good as any market in the country in terms of the way that its teams are performing. The magic of the Warriors, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, KD, uh, the kind of turnaround of the Oakland Raiders in the last year. Uh, New buildings in Sacramento for the Kings, proposed new arena for the Warriors in Mission Bay, the Niners hosting uh, Super Bowl 50, the Giants winning three World Series. As a college football coach once said, who's got it better than us? Mm. (laughs) And I'll I'll make the argument that um, the Bay Area is doing pretty well. And we also have you know tremendous success on the college side with Christian McCaffrey and, and many others. As it relates to billion dollar venue monopoly, which is how I look at it, um, there is a thorny issue. I guess the good news is that uh, franchises have shown that it's possible to build your own facilities. Jed York has done it with Levi's, Avecron and Dive and his partners. And it clearly looks like the Warriors, with maybe one or two more speed bumps, will open up a new fantastic arena in Mission Bay in 2019 or 2020. But if we look at Oakland, um, the Warriors looks like they're leaving. And how ironic that there's only one location, I think, guys, that has three major professional teams playing on one footprint. That's the Oakland Raiders, the Oakland A's, and at least for the next few years, the Golden State Warriors. Now, let's take the Raiders first. Um, Vegas, Vegas, Vegas. Everybody's talking about Vegas. Um, And of course, how do you take away a game at home from some of the most loyal fans and go play in Mexico City? Maybe that's uh, a point of conversation that we can have later about international expansion. Mark Davis has been unable to get the kind of deal that he wants in Oakland. He clearly has stated that he does not have the money. His family doesn't have the money to build a multi-billion dollar stadium. And he has a deal on the table, if we can believe it, that um, Las Vegas, the state of Nevada, has approved $750 million, which is the largest single stadium level of support in in sports history um mark said he's bringing 500 million dollars to the party sheldon adelson the head of Sands casino has talked about 650 million but that's when this starts to unravel for me because mr adelson who's in his early 80s is one of the most savvy casino executives in the country and in my view he's not dropping 650 million dollars on a football stadium or the Raiders without having a piece of the team. And as you both know, Mark Davis has said, au contraire, I'm not selling any part of the Raiders. I mean, he does have, I think, two limited partners, but he's the majority. Um, And uh, the NFL owners have to approve this. 24 of the 32 have to approve it. Uh, Some observers believe that there will be a vote at their January meeting, but it's not on the agenda, and they could basically delay. And who knows how those voters will vote. And just this morning, um, Libby Schaaf said that she has a framework of a deal for something relating to a new football stadium for the Raiders in Oakland with a group, led by Ronnie Lott. Let's just kind of end this answer to the additional shakeups that the Oakland A's have made uh, last week where a longtime partner, Lou Wolf, uh, is stepping back. Dave Cavill, the president of the San Jose Earthquakes, is coming in to be, quote, the new eyes on trying to get a baseball stadium built in Oakland. And I guess the good news is the Warriors are playing in Oakland. The Oakland Raiders are playing in Oakland, and the Oakland A's will open up their baseball season in Oakland. Mm. What happens after that, uh, that's, I guess, what we'll be talking about.
1: Now, someone like Ronnie Lott, I, mean, I don't know what his net worth is, but would he be, you know, I mean, partly just the name, and partly, you know, throw a little bit, a few million in there? What do you
6: think? Well, here are the questions. First of all, we all know Ronnie Lott, and he is as high a quality a person as you're going to find. There's mm-hmm. no argument about that. But the fluid that flows through the veins of professional sports is green. And in this case, as it relates to football stadiums, it's billions of green. Is that Ronnie Lott? Absolutely not. So if you look at the latest uh, announcement that the mayor made, I guess, late last night or early this morning, Libby Schaaf, my questions are this. Who's the money? And once that money is identified, what piece of the Raiders does that person or institution want? Number two, what has Mark Davis said? And at least what I've seen before today's show, Mark Davis hasn't said anything other than, wow, we won a great game in Mexico City last night. What has John Fisher and the Oakland A's say? Because they have something to do with whatever happens at the Coliseum. And... What, if any, public money? We know that Mayor Schaff has said with absolute certainty there will be not one penny of the public tax uh, spent on any stadiums. And what has Roger Goodell said about this supposed deal that Ronnie Lott has with Oakland? So I think there are more questions than answers. It's nice to say you have a framework for a deal, but let's not forget Floyd Kephart. Remember that deal? That went no place. And before that, I think there were two additional third-party developer deals in Oakland, but none of them uh, got to the point of having any piece of either the A's or the Raiders. And until you see that, I, I just think it's another of, in my case, I believe it's Raiders of the Lost Mark. Okay. After well,
1: I'll tell you how this is going to happen. Mark, 27. Mark, Mark, you know what? Mark Davis will get have uh, Vegas in a bidding war with Mexico City to see, <laughs> to see who, who will host them. How's that?
2: Mexico you know, City. I, yeah. I agree with you. I was sort
6: of amazed, and I watched the game last night and the run-up and all the, the media stories. I'm surprised that Mark hasn't come out and said, wow, you know, Raider Nazion. Uh, Plata y Negro, right? With that yeah. silver and black yeah. I Spanish. I oh, they'd love I that. I got a D in Spanish, but the Plata y Negro <laughs> in Mexico de F. Uh, why not? Sure. Well, sure. The, the NFL, and, and once they build the wall. You know the Raiders yeah. will will own the country. Well,
1: well it's I it's so one it's thing to play in it, it's <laughs> one thing to play in London, you know, where the, it's such a long distance. But Mexico, Mexico City not, not is not that far. Yeah, okay, yeah. we're going to cut to our uh, first commercial break with a trivia question. All right, and again, Andy, if you know the answer to this, don't answer until we get back from break. Who was the first golfer to win more than a million dollars in official earnings in a single year? That's our question. Email edward at sportsecon101.com the answer to that question. And don't touch that dial. We're talking business, sports business on Sports Econ 101. We'll be right back.
8: Rebuild or replace transmission, $3,200. Anti-lock brake system, $1,000. Rebuild or replace engine, $2,400
9: your process lower your monthly mortgage payments save your home and your credit but you must act now call 800-274-7312 800-274-7312 not available in all states paid non-attorney spokesperson
1: welcome back to sport econ 101 i'm edward brown your host along with bruce mcgowan here is our first trivia question who was the first golfer to win more than a million dollars in official earnings in a single year
2: anybody andy and i were both mulling that over and i was thinking somebody like Palmer or Nicholas, but Andy said, no, he didn't think so. And I, I do have I'm a... I'm
6: saying Palmer, Nicholas for player, right? The big three. One of those three. McCormick, that's too obvious. Yeah. It's too obvious. I'm I'm saying, no, I'll go with somebody. It's got to be somebody more recent, but not that recent.
1: Yeah, that's... I, I'd, uh, Tom that's Watson? Exa- that's exactly... Tom I've, Watson? No, no, but... I'm
6: going. I'm going. Northern California's
2: Johnny Miller. Ah, there you about go.
1: No, no. Okay, I'll give you the year. 1988. 19. And he won four titles,
2: 1988. I know
1: you know the name,
2: John. No, 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 no. no.
1: You ready? Who? Curtis Strange. Oh my he god! He was the first one to win them. A, a I, I actually dollars.
2: covered a, a tournament that he won. the uh, The Ben Crosby he won a, a rain shortened Crosby. How many Ben Crosbys were rain shortened? By the way, probably half of them. But you know, because yeah. they always used to have them in the perfectly,
6: middle. What a perfectly arranged question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, that was.
2: No pun intended. No, that's that's right.
6: <laughs> everybody would have gone with the big three or somebody. Sure, sure. a million you dollars.
2: Yeah. Andy Dolich, by the way, is joining us. Andy is a longtime sports executive, has worked in the uh, front offices of baseball, football, hockey, soccer teams. And Andy, we've been talking about this Oakland situation. It seems like the one team that is almost certain to stay in Oakland would be the A's because there's really no place for them to move to. There's no city that has a suitable stadium for them to move right into. The Raiders seem more likely to go to Las Vegas. We know the Warriors in all probability are going to move to San Francisco eventually once they get this arena built. So the A's can just kind of sit there and bide their time, but I don't think they're too happy with, with the progress or lack of it of this new stadium that they've been talking about. What's going on? Because the old
1: one is, what, 50 years old, almost 50 years old now.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm proud of what
6: we were able to do in Roto-Rooter Stadium, which is my new
8: name.
6: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, um, and that seems to happen every once in a while. But seriously stated, um, some of the A's circumstances regarding their search for a new ballpark have been self-inflicted. If you look at John Fisher, who has been very, very quiet under the surface, Lou Wolf clearly was the spokesperson. Now, as we know, Dave Cobble you know, is coming in. Billy Bean has been the voice of the baseball side. But let's think about this: um, John Fisher is one of the wealthiest owners in Major League Baseball. He and Lou Wolf have done some incredibly exciting and profitable mixed-use retail hotels, etc. cetera, development around North America. And if you look at that footprint in and around the Coliseum, I happen to believe that it could be Mission Bay, too. You guys know and remember that Mission Bay 16 or 17 years ago was like Chernobyl. And look at it, look at it now.
1: Well, don't, don't tell me that because I used to own uh, a piece of uh, – do you remember – Across some mother's cookies, it was sunshine biscuits. I do. I, I that's five. Fi- I, I owned a, a good portion of that. A five hundred thousand square foot building. It was a quarter mile long, not and far from it, right? Yeah,
2: didn't get enough for it though.
1: Uh, we did okay, but yeah, I'm sure should, it's not should, enough. Should have hung <laughs> on.
2: To it. No, well, I agree, I agree with you, Andy. What you're well, saying is now I have to double my rate on the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but,
6: but if if you look at what's happened in Oakland, first of all, Northern California, the Bay Area. Um, is hot as a pistol. You look at the growth. The Silicon Valley is everywhere. There's X, Y, and Z generations. Many of them are now living in Oakland because it's affordable. Oakland is cool. It's always been cool, but it's definitely cool now in terms of uh, people moving into the city. And the fact that John Fisher, Lou Wolf, haven't done anything about that is really a question. Now, there's been some talk about Howard Terminal over the last year or two or more than that. But where are you going to find a better transportation central location than the Coliseum? Yeah,
1: didn't they talk so, about going to San Jose years ago? And the giants? No, they talked about going to a- Fremont. A- Fremont. A- but-
6: a- yeah, I mean, Fremont didn't work because they didn't have the connectivity from the Fremont Port Station to what was, if you guys remember, it was Cisco Field. Remember, they had a naming rights deal in a land swap with Cisco. Um, They didn't handle the politics of that right, and they couldn't make the deal work. Then uh, the Giants have the territorial right. They fought very, very hard. Commissioner Rob Manfred and Bud Selig before him said, sorry, you're not going to San Jose, so they redoubled their efforts in Oakland. And with the kind of net worth that John Fisher has, with the size of the market in the Bay Area, and it's been proven over decades that the fan base here can support both teams if they're positioned to win. Uh, Bruce, you know that in terms of the great teams that the A's had for many, many years in the 80s and sure. 90s, and then, you know, what they did for a year or two under the realm of Moneyball. But the A's have been very, very quiet. They move all of their top-notch players, and they keep talking about the fact that they don't have the revenues to build the stadium. Well, they get a $35 million check from Major League Baseball every year in revenue sharing. In many instances, they make more money net profit per year than the Giants. Uh, Fisher and Wolf and their partners bought the team for $180 million. Guys, what do you think they can sell it for this afternoon?
1: 750?
6: Um, a heck of a lot more than 180. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, so so they can keep the payroll down as they, as they always correct. have and right. still do okay, even I mean of course from the ego standpoint better they want to win. Yeah, than okay. Yeah.
6: yeah. Better than okay from a financial sense. Now, yeah. we love sports. I think the reason to own a professional sports team is to get jewelry, hoist a trophy and yeah. host a parade, right? Yeah. Anything else? is not fun. Ask the Cleveland Browns and the San Francisco 49ers, <laughs> mm. who are an astounding 1-20. and
2: 20. <laughs> right. Browns yeah, and fun. Niners are 1-20. and 20. A, Didn't the 49ers win the first game? They did. Okay, They beat the Rams. Yeah. And they haven't won since. Twi- that's pretty mm-hmm. hard
6: to swallow. You right? got
2: you got to work, by the way, with the 49ers for a while. Was that during... Uh, that was after the DeBartolo uh, era, right? to
6: 2010 as we were really looking at Santa Clara, trying to make the last few years at Candlestick as good as they could be. I really enjoyed my time there, but Jed took over as uh, president, CEO, wanted a different management team in there. And, you know, when you have a disagreement with the owner, the owner usually wins. So no. I left.
2: What, what I, Not to get off on a tangent about Jed York, but he's taking a lot of slings and arrows and some of them are much deserved. What you know, what's your read on this young guy because I know when Eddie DeBartolo moved in as owner of the 49ers, he screwed up that franchise for a while until he lucked out with Bill Walsh. It seemed as if um Jed York had a uh, got a huge break when Jim Harbaugh was coaching just up the road and he plucked him out of Stanford. What what do you think uh, Jed has learned if anything in his experience as owner because the team has just gone through a roller coaster since he's been there. In Port Chip Kelly. <laughs> uh
6: Well, I would say what Jed learned is, hey Jim, let's sit down and work this out. (laughs) That's what I think Jed learned. Now, clearly when you own a team, you have the right um, to make choices as to who your coach is going to be, who your general manager is. And there's no shortage of opinions, and those people that know Jim Harbaugh, um, you know, he can be a difficult personality. But I would say, is Jim Harbaugh any more of a difficult personality than Bill Belichick? (laughs) Um, And, you know, the Kraft family, well-respected, good people, and you look at the job that Belichick has done, he not a lot of smiles on his face, not a lot of personality. I think Harbaugh has much, you know, more diverse personality than uh, Belichick has, but He is one heck of a football coach and I don't think you can argue so is Jim Harbaugh what really happened between Jim Harbaugh and Jed York everybody's kind of looking for what the mystery is and I don't think it was any mystery I think they weren't able to work it out and boy is this franchise suffering because of
2: that. Yeah, it is kind of sad. I mean, you think about it. The 49ers also had a lot of players retire like Patrick Willis and uh, you know, a number of other Justin Smith and you know, you can and go then to, injuries injuries, I mean, injuries yeah, a guy
6: like Navarro Bowman yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. out of the team. One of but there's a cautionary tale here, guys. And the cautionary tale is let's go back a few years and remember that moment where Joe Lacob was out on the court with Chris yeah. Mullen Rick Barry. Getting booed. He was the most vilified, booed, uh, unloved person in the Bay Area in sports, right? Yep. This is after he was
2: firing Mark Jackson. And
6: then he made some really good decisions, and he sort of extracted himself from the stage that he was on, and that led to Steve Kerr and Rick Welts and Bob Myers and Larry Riley's decision. On Steph Curry and Jerry West, I was lucky enough to work with Jerry for five years in Memphis. Jerry West's decision not to trade Klay Thompson, Thompson yeah. and mm-hmm. Kevin Love, which you know, when the history is written, was a brilliant decision. Yeah. Um, and their their guts and creativity to get AD, and now. Joe Liebowitz. I don't know the last time you know he's bought a meal, a drink, or jet fuel. <laughs> well, you know it's interesting.
1: We, you know we yeah. talk about trades, and sometimes it's the trade you don't make.
2: Yeah,
1: that's that's exactly. that, that's really big. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell you what, to so, stay with us, Andy. See oh, if you can stay with us one trade. more. See if you can stay with us one more segment. We got to cut yeah, to a sure. quick commercial okay. break. Okay. Great. Who is the heaviest football player in NFL history? Wow, that's our question. All right. Okay. Uh, you got to email Edward at SportsEcon101. dot We'll see if you know the answer to this. Who was that? I know the answer. Do you really?
2: Oh, I think I do. I think Andy knows too. Really? Yeah. Wow.
1: Okay. I'm. I'm. I'll I'd, I'd be impressed if yeah, you know this.
2: Okay. I, I must admit, I don't
6: know. I was going to come out with some snarky answer like heavy
1: like cool who is the coolest dude yeah <laughs> okay well, well i'll tell you he was not a wide receiver okay stay with us sports econ 101 we will be right back
5: Whether you're a local or entertaining visitors, check out the new Cityscape Viewing Lounge at the Hilton San Francisco Union Square for 360-degree views that are out of this world. This new San Francisco landmark serves up premium wines by the glass and locally crafted beers, as well as tempting appetizers, all of which complement the city's landmark vistas. The Cityscape Viewing Lounge at the Hilton San Francisco
10: Union Square.
3: Come aboard Hornblower Cruises for a -a one-of-a-kind Thanksgiving experience with spectacular views, live entertainment, and a gourmet holiday dinner all on board. Gather your family and just relax this Thanksgiving. We'll cook the turkey and even do the dishes. Book your reservation today at Hornblower.com for a -a one-of-a-kind Thanksgiving experience. That's Hornblower.com.
1: I can get you a guaranteed policy where the low premiums are fixed anywhere from 10 to 35 years. So email edward at sportsecon101.com right now for your free life insurance quote. That's edward at sportsecon101.com. Welcome back to Sports Econ 101. Again, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Bruce McGowan. Here is our second trivia question. Uh, who was the heaviest football player in history and uh, in NFL history? And I gave a hint uh, that it was not a wide receiver. I'll give you another hint: it was not a punter. Well,
2: that's pretty how's that? that? Is that you pretty know. good? I'm gonna guess William. I'd
6: say it was a sumo rep. Wrestler. Sumo wrestler. <laughs> football player there you go. named Konishiki <laughs> <laughs>
2: Kobayashi. I'm gonna say it was no. William the Fridge Perry. No, no, no.
1: I don't know if he ever hit 400. Okay, he was close who to was it. Was it a guy named Aaron Gibson? Never I don't hurt, remember him. Never he played, heard of him. He played for the Lions, Cowboys, Bears, and Bills from 2001 to 2007.
2: Well, there you go. He moved around a lot. Hey, how much did he weigh? 410 he, pounds. Is he still alive?
1: Yeah, I don't know if he's still alive. Uh, 410 pounds.
2: 410. Wow. Pounds. Yeah, probably a pretty tall guy too. I would think. Carry that kind of yeah, way. he definitely got to, uh No,
6: he was 5'6". He played the right side of the line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, we were
2: just talking off off air about Vince Wilfork who was watching the uh, Raider game the other night. He's now playing with Houston. That guy just looks like a truck. He's massive. Yeah you imagine carrying that much weight around? A large human being. How do you get the, the clothes to wear? That's what I want to know. You have to go to a special <laughs> store and order them, you know. Not easy to or do. Or all your other clothes. There yeah. are there are those
6: stores around the country That's true. for NBA players, yeah. uh, pro athletes,
2: literally. Every major city has one. So okay, it's called big and bigger,
1: tall and taller. Yeah. Well,
2: there's, there was Rochester's here I, in, yeah. in San Francisco. I used to because I'm six six, and I used to have to buy. Are you not six 6'6"? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I you keep always... growing
1: every time I ask you. Well,
2: <laughs> I used to see athletes in there, and I remember there was a guy. The chief salesman there was a guy named Forrest Pritchard who used to sing the the third stanza of yeah. the national anthem. You remember that, Andy, right. at, at the Warrior Games? I do. Yeah, uh-huh. very nice man.
1: Okay, so we're gonna move off air. Before, we were talking about croquet, of seriously. all things. Okay, so I got a little... Seriously. I, seriously. Okay. So I have I have a quick little story. Okay. So if you guys uh, know up in Napa, the Meadowood. Sure. That's like the only croquet... It's like yeah. a professional cro- croquet I course. I have
6: been to Meadowood, and I have seen the croquet players, because there's an executive golf course at Meadowood, which is a top yes, nine. Right. Yeah. And I have purposely hit a wedge... Into the croak of
2: meadow You did? <laughs> j- just to see what reaction you get?
1: <laughs> well, the thing uh, is, you have to wear white. That's part of the yeah. rules. You have really? to wear white. Yeah. So um, we brought our daughter, who was, I think, seven years old at the time. This is an English
2: game, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess
1: so. And so, you know, we we're it had been so many years since I played. So they have a professional guy out there to kind of show you how to do it, right?
6: Red beard, red beard, uh, all white. Uh, and his croquet hat. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah
1: that, that's it. And uh, and so he, you know, we were trying to, because I couldn't remember all the rules and stuff like that, right? And so we get to this one part where we're like we're completely at one end. And, and at the other end, because of, of how, I guess maybe I, I hit my daughter's ball like way to the other end or something, right? He says, okay, well, uh, he's teaching her. He says, well, what you need to do is you got to hit it pretty hard and you got to go through those two wickets and then hit the stick and she did it. Wow. I mean, it was just a lucky shot, but it was, she must have hit it like wow. 35 or 40 feet. Wow. Least, no, 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 no. It had to be more than that. It had to be maybe oh. 60, 65 or 70 feet. Yeah, Please. I couldn't believe it. We're yes. watching this thing go and go and go, and it's like and it goes through two wickets, and it hits the stick.
2: Andy did that every well, day. That, is that a sticky wicket, or is that a <laughs> <laughs> tricky
6: wicket? A sticky what? wicket. <laughs> right? They, yeah. they have all these terms which I never understood, uh, but I was barred from the okay court having won. after that
2: after yeah, the were. wedge I gotta ask you Andy you, it, uh, the time the the way I got to know Andy was when he was working with the Oakland A's in the front office with with the Haas family and Sandy Alderson was there and Tony LaRoe and you had so many great players like uh, Stewart and Eckersley and Henderson what what was it like promoting that team you it almost it almost seemed like you didn't have to promote them because they were so um, dynamic and successful and plus Eckersley and Ricky Henderson and Dave Stewart were all – from the community so they were right, proud. Lansford. yeah carney lansford oh, yeah, he was in, in yeah what was um, it like working with that team
6: it's ironic in that i was emceeing an event uh a few weeks ago and uh, robert haas uh one of walter's three children was part of the program and you know the incredible work that they've done over decades at the university of california i mean the haas business school the haas pavilion how supportive they've been to environmental causes. And when I first met Walter Haas in 1980, when I came out here from New York, actually Washington, D.C., I was working for Madison Square Garden, and Walter Haas explained to me how he wanted the team to be run. Roy Eisenhardt, as you remember, his son-in-law and Wally were running the team at that time, the late 80s. Uh, the late 70s, the team was nowhere. It's a triple-A team when Charlie Finley kind of pulled it apart. And Walter said, this is a public trust. We serve our fans. That's what we're about. That's what what I think some ownerships have forgotten. And, And I think John Fisher, to a certain extent, could learn from the Haas family because Walter said, You know, think of us like a library. Think of us as a museum. Think of us as an art gallery, the ballet, the symphony. We're owned by the fans. Our job is to provide the best possible entertainment, best possible baseball team. And then, as you said, Bruce, I mean, and there were a lot of other people. Steve Page, who's the president of Sonoma Raceway. Alan Ledford, who's the president of one of the most successful AAA teams in the country in El Paso. David Rubenstein, Mickey. I mean, we had an all-star of great people, both on the baseball side. You mentioned Sandy. Uh, Billy Bean was learning how to be a general manager early in that time. But it was because of the heart and soul of Walter Haas. It was the ownership vision of what a team should be That I will always remember. I worked for nine different owners in sports. I will never, ever, uh, will have worked for one as incredible as Walter Haas and his family. See,
1: I appreciate that because it's like he's looking and saying, "Look, I'm just a steward of this
6: team." Exactly.
1: You know, it's it's like I, I own real estate and I look at my tenants as. Um, I mean, yeah, I own the building, but I'm very, very appreciative when they pay their rent because they're paying my mortgage. So you treat them well. It's along the same lines. You know, you don't.
6: Because you will, you know, we're not wishing you to go quickly, but we'll all we'll all be turned into dust. And these entities will last for years and years and years. And oh, good point. we started talking about these venues that now cost billions of dollars. If you don't build a heart and soul in that venue, and you look at what the Niners are suffering now, now a large part is because they're one in nine, but Levi's has not been accepted as a quality place by a lot of people. You know, will that change over time? I think it will. But just because you build some shining a venue with glass and steel and restaurants and cool stuff and valet parking, that doesn't mean you are touching the heart of your fan base.
2: You know what's neat also about that team, though, too, we mentioned just in passing some of the names, you had some really fun colorful characters on that team. I mean, Dave Stewart just wore his heart on his sleeve. I'll never forget his retirement speech. He was literally crying and he had all of us in the in the media crying because he was he was talking about how much he he gave to the game. And then you had Bob Welch who would you know, wear his heart on his sleeve, and Jose Canseco was off the wall, but he was he was fun to talk to. Ricky Henderson always spoke of himself in the third person. I mean, well, who would have
6: ever thought that Jose Canseco, when all said and done, was the most truthful guy about the steroids right? yeah, all of point. baseball, right? Yeah, um, and you had you know a tough guy in Tony Larusa uh, as the on-field manager, but all the people surrounded him. And that's what true teamwork is like. We had so many different personalities, from Ricky to Stu to Eck to Tony to, you know, I mean, we had it all on that team. Dave Parker, Hendu, it was a wonderful time. And, you know, I hope the A's get their act together and, you know, that Chris Davis um, stays with this team. And isn't on the block, and that Sonny Gray is, you know, winning 20 games again. Because <laughs> this argument that they can't afford these players is just not a factual it, argument.
2: It, it's interesting you bring up. You mentioned Tony LaRusso. I will say one thing about Tony. I always got along with him, great. But he just did not like talking to the media if they lost a game. He just, you'd walk into his office and you'd sort of tiptoe in there, and he'd be staring up at a TV up in the corner. And all the writers always asked me, or they kind of expected me to ask the first question, so I would get my question <laughs> asked. Maybe yeah, you like
6: Helen Thomas, right? Yeah, White no, I, House press corps. Exactly. I'd ask my and question. So Tony, yeah, Tony loved Tony loved that because there was a twinkle in his eye, almost like Harbaugh to a certain extent. Different personalities. Yeah. But Tony, at one time, his email address was below. Like phony at the look because that's how he
2: looked at himself because i am a low i am a low well you know i just remember asking him this one question and i i, I was kind of hesitant i can't remember what it was i asked but it was something i knew that was going to elicit a negative response he looked up at me and snapped and he says you're better than that bruce you're better than that next question Yeah. and i just <laughs> i just shriveled i mean i literally shriveled into the, well, into he's, the background is a lawyer too Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Dude. boy i'll tell you you did so, not want to get in his bad seat so
1: andy do you still stay in touch with billy bean
6: uh, I do not. Um, although Billy is a fisherman, I'm a fisherman. I've been fairly critical of the A's. Actually, there's a op-ed in today's Bay Area News Group that I've written about the A's news of last week. And so, no, Billy and I, I, I guess I'm not going to get invited to the opening night VIP reception. Well,
1: I was, I was hoping you could put in a good word for me because I, I told him I could throw in the high 60s in case he needed a relief uh, pitcher, pitcher, but yeah. he doesn't have a well, sense of humor for that. The <laughs>
6: metrics are not looking good, and, and I happen to believe, I mean, it, the job that Billy has done has been terrific, but I still think that the ability of scouts in every sport to see players picked in the 17th round or undrafted um, is the perfect, you know, antidote to all the analytic and met- metric BS that exists today.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a fun time we're talking sports with Andy Dolich, a longtime front office uh, person who was worked in in not only Major League Baseball but we mentioned the NFL and, and soccer too. You worked uh, in the in the Washington North
6: Diplomats. Washington Diplomat lost a great friend a great last name. year when Johan Cruyff. One of the five greatest players of all time, the Dutch national, the man who created the clockwork orange for the Netherlands, passed mm. away. And yeah, that was a shock. Played out his he played out his career with the diplomats. Uh, truly, uh, you know, larger than life figure.
2: I covered a lot of. Uh, I'm
6: lucky, I've been a very lucky person to have worked in this industry and interact with millions of fans over you know fifty years.
2: Well, the thing um, that, that sets you apart, though, Andy, is not only. Do you know what you're doing and you have a passion for it, but you just seem to want things to go better for you? Not only, I mean, I think this is a natural thing. You want your organization to win, but it seems like you want to impart some wisdom. I noticed that Mm. you you mentioned in passing you do some teaching now, too.
6: Yeah, I'm I'm doing work at the University of San Francisco. They've had an excellent sports management program for a number of years, and we've created a new program as part of that, a master's program. 100% online in the business of collegiate sports, which is becoming ultra complicated and I also uh, am able to teach some courses at uh, Stanford School of Continuing Studies. Uh, Last one was How the Warriors Became Golden from a business standpoint and before that uh, Super Bowl 50 meets Silicon Valley. This summer I'll be teaching one on so you want to work in sports.
1: That's great. Hey, Andy, we do have to cut to our last commercial break, and it's been a pleasure having you on Sports Econ 101. We'll definitely have to have you on again, okay?
6: Gentlemen, always enjoy it. Uh, great Thanksgiving, and uh, let's let's win some more championships.
1: That's good. Thanks again, Andy. Okay. okay. All right, here's our last trivia question. In golf, what do you call a score of four under par? Think about that. Okay, you've got an eagle, a double eagle, and this is four under par. All right, stay with us. Sports on One Hundred and One. We'll be right back with some closing comments.
4: call the cesi debt helpline right now for a free confidential debt review 800-957-6063 800-957-6063 welcome back to
1: sports econ 101 last time for today i'm edward brown your host along with bruce McGowan. here was our last trivia question in golf what do you call a score of four under par
2: well, let's see. Uh, 400 par. On a given hole. Okay. Right, because well, you have a birdie, birdie, eagle, eagle, double eagle, double eagle. triple eagle.
1: Well, you know, one would think that, but that's not, no. the, that's not the technical term. No. Hole in one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the basically, yeah, that yeah, would be it. Yeah. Well, I guess in theory you could get a two on yeah, a six, but that would be that's really true. hard. But basically, yeah, you'd get be getting a hole-in-one on a par-5, right. which would be – I mean, it probably hits off a couple of buildings and a, and a stork takes it and drops Gee, it in the – There you uh, go. A condor. A condor. Th- that's, that's the – I've never heard, never heard that term. That's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. I like that. But can you imagine getting a, a hole-in-one on a par-5? I mean, you'd that's, have to
2: really strike the ball hard.
1: Yeah, and it didn't roll down. I, I got a
2: hole in one in uh, miniature golf. Does did you? Does
1: that I, count? I, it, it absolutely does. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't a par five, though. No, um,
2: it was like a par twenty yards. <laughs> yeah, I did actually get a, a
1: hole in one on a 165 on a, yards. Did you really? Yeah. Did
2: you know immediately, or did you? I, I
1: did only because it was, the sun was starting to go down uh. and the ball rolled, and then the people on the tee. You know how they sure. come coming back, guy jumps up and, it's in the hole, it's in the hole. Said, it's really? in the hole. And sure enough, I go there and there it
2: was. Bill Murray, it's in the hole, it's <laughs> exactly. in the hole. What All that, right. What was that movie where he said that anyway? That was... Uh, Caddyshack? Caddyshack? Caddyshack. Okay. Good movie, yeah. yeah. Roddy Dangerfield. Yeah, Roddy
1: Dangerfield. Love yeah, that guy. Yeah. Give <laughs> okay, no respect. Give no okay. respect. Thoughts for the day. One man practicing sportsmanship is far better than a hundred teaching it, said Newt Rockne. Wow. Very good. Yeah. And Phil Jackson said, approach the game with no preset agendas, and you'll probably come away surprised at your overall resor- results. Mm. Not bad. Okay. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. All right, Bruce, want to thank you again for joining us here. Have uh, a great holiday. Absolutely. And all our listeners,
2: have a, have yourself a safe turkey
1: holiday. Well, actually, this is going to air on Thursday, on uh, on
2: Saturday. Well, hopefully so they haven't ate, the ho- eaten too much too turkey. Too much turkey, exactly. So it, they're awake listening to this. Yeah. What is it, trip That makes That's you sleepy. That's you know,
1: it. You know. All right, tune in next week to Sports Econ 101. We're going to be discussing sports topics from a business perspective. Giving away more free advice. I like that. You like that? Like that. Okay. Thanks for listening. On behalf of our team, I'm your host, Edward Brown. We'll see you next week. Good night, America. So long.